Hey everyone, welcome to church today. Uh, we're so glad that you're joining us on this Sabbath afternoon. Whether you're watching online or you're here in person, we're so grateful that you are here with us. We are starting a brand new series, and this is our first series after the super long series we just concluded uh, right just last week. We had 12 sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. If that's something you're interested in and this is your first time joining us, you can follow that and you can watch and listen to that on our podcast or YouTube channel. But today we are starting a brand new series, and as it is the end of the year, uh, what we usually do is have a series that's kind of about Christmas. Now, uh, before I go into the message, I gotta, I gotta let you know what the title is. The title is, can we get that on the screen, is called The Silent Night Before Christmas. Now, I was tempted to add the subtitle because as we were writing this and preparing this, the subtitle, I ended up not putting it there, but the, really the subtitle is A Christmas Series That's Not About Christmas. So let me put that out there. The, the series is called The Silent Night Before Christmas. The subtitle, unspoken subtitle, a Christmas series that's not really about Christmas. Instead, we're talking about something different, and it's, it's related and connected, but kind of, in a, in a, kind of on the side. It's kind of on the side, but it's, it's really relevant for us. Now, I want to begin this message by sharing with you guys who I think this is for. This message series for the next three weeks is really for anyone that wants this season of the year, this Christmas season, to be a more spiritually meaningful season. If that's what you want, this series is for you. Okay? If you want this, this, this time of the year to be more than just hustle and bustle, running around, getting gifts, hosting dinners, going to dinners and all that stuff, and having those good times with family and friends, but you, you, there's something in you that senses like there's something missing, something not right, because at the core, this holiday is a spiritual holiday. If there's something in you that's like, it's a spiritual holiday, but it doesn't feel very spiritual to me, this series is for you. It's called The Silent Night before Christmas. And so here's what we're going to do in this. I want to break it down, break this title down. So this title, as you can note, has two references to Christmas. Yes? Two references. Silent Night, the song, the very popular song, and The Night Before Christmas, a very well-known poem about Christmas. And so what we're going to do, these two phrases really help us to understand what we're going to do, be doing in the next couple of weeks. So I want to start with the second phrase, the night before Christmas, the, the poem that many people know. What we're talking about is that key word, before Christmas. What we're talking about in the next three weeks is what happens before Christmas. And it's not necessarily, okay, what happens now until December 25th? No, not really that. What we're talking about is what happened before Jesus came to this earth? What happened before that? You guys know? What happened right before? What was the era? What was the period of history like before the birth of Jesus? Right? The key word is before. So we're talking about preparation. We're talking about how God prepared his people for Jesus' coming. We're talking about preparation, what happened before. So let me ask you this. What happened before Jesus came to this planet? Before he was born, what was, what was going on? Right, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, which is the beginning of the Gospels and the story of Jesus, and then you flip to the page right before, what do you find? Malachi. You find the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. You find the last verse, the last chapter, the last words of Malachi. Here's what you have to understand. 
Malachi was written roughly 400 years before Jesus came. So there was a period of 400 years where stuff happened that prepared the way for Jesus, and a lot of us know nothing about it. That period, let me let you guys know, is called the intertestamental period. Can we all say that together? The intertestamental period. Big words, like what even is that? But if you look at it and think about it, it's inter-between testaments. It's the intertestamental period be be between the Old Testament and the New Testament. From the second temple that they built in Jerusalem to Jesus. From Malachi to Matthew, 400 years of history, 400 years of events, 400 years of developments that we know nothing about. Like, I knew nothing about this. I had heard about it. I heard a couple things, but there's so many important things that happened. So that's the night before part. But why the silent part? Why the silent night part? Why are we calling it silent night before Christmas? Like, I would, like, like me, most of you, I'm assuming, probably don't know much about the intertestamental period. If you are an expert in the intertestamental period, please preach next week because I'm not then qualified. Maybe you need to be up here. But I feel like most of us don't really know about it. And what's the reason? Why don't we know much about the intertestamental period? For the, for the average Christian who grew up in church and you have your Bible, how come we don't really know much about that period? It's because there's nothing in the Bible about it. You notice that? There's nothing in the Bible. There's Old Testament and New Testament. There's not Old Testament, Old-ish Testament and New Testament. There's no Old, Medium and New Testament. We don't have anything written during that period. That's why we don't really know much unless you like go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Wikipedia and do your research. It's not as obvious as we don't really understand what really happened during that period because there was nothing there. But the bigger question is why not? 400 years is a big period of time. How could it be that there's nothing in the Bible about what happened between Malachi and Matthew? What's crazy is the nickname for this period, the intertestamental period by the Jews, is the 400 years of silence. The reason we don't have anything in the Bible about this period is because for 400 years, God was silent. No prophets, no words from God, nothing. For 400 years, people did not hear from the Lord like they did in the Old Testament. No new prophets were raised. Nobody came up to say, this is a word from God. Nobody wrote anything down. Nothing. Like, isn't that so, like, that's so crazy if you think about it. For 400 years, God was silent with his people. But here's the thing, in those 400 years, God was not passive. In those 400 years of silence, God was actually active. And that 400-year period, that intertestamental period, what God was doing is he was preparing his people for Jesus. So here's my thinking. As we think about this holiday season... How did, G how did God prepare his people for Jesus? Because I'm thinking that if we understand that, maybe we too in this time can learn to prepare for Jesus as well. And I know that many of you know him and have a relationship with him, but on this holiday that we celebrate and remember that Jesus came, how can we prepare for that so that this holiday would be a much more spiritually meaningful time? 
So that's what we're doing for the next couple weeks. I think it's going to be a blessing. So let's pray and let's get into today's talk. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, so much for your words. I thank you, God, so much not only for your words spoken, but the words unspoken as we think about and reflect upon the silent years of the intertestamental period. Lord, there's going to be a lot of information, a lot of new stuff, a lot of things that we're going to learn. And it, I'm a little bit nervous about that because sometimes people can get lost and I can get lost and get confused. So God, I pray for clarity in this moment, that you'd give us minds to engage, that we might hear what you have to say because it is powerful, Lord. Let me pray. Amen. I'll tell you guys, as I was preparing for this, this is one of the most like interesting things or interesting sermons that I've prepared for. Right, like, because I know so little that as I prepared, I learned so many, like, things that I've never heard, heard about before. A lot of things that are like, oh, that's crazy. Like, during this period, a lot of crazy, interesting things happen. And I remember just, like, reading and researching, and I was like, wow, no way. Wow, that's insane. Wow, I can't believe that happened. And so we're going to go over some of those things of what happened in the, his, in, in the history of these, this 400-year history. And it's like so many significant things happened in these 400 years. Like, it's not like nothing happened, right? Let me give you a quick breakdown of some of the things that happened, highlights of the 400 years in this intertestamental period. The, the kingdom who ruled over Israel changed five times in 400 years. Five times. They had five different nations rule over them in this period. So that's a big deal, right? That's kind of a huge deal. Like we have a huge check section of the Old Testament about Assyria and Babylon and Persia and the exile. That's a big deal, but we got nothing, right? But that's what happened. Five leadership changes, five empire changes over Israel in that period of time. In the New Testament, if you're familiar with it, there's these two groups called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Have you guys ever read like the New Testaments and you read about the Pharisees and all you could think was like, what's wrong with these guys? Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Why are you like that? You're crazy. You need to stop. During the intertestamental period is when the Pharisees and the Sadducees started to form. And when you understand why they formed, you understand why they acted the way they did in the New Testament. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. We'll get to that later. During the intertestamental period, the Greek Bible was written. It's called the Septuagint. For some of you guys who know that, it was written during this period. It was a time when, when the Bible was translated into Greek, so there was more like mass understanding of the scriptures was actually really important. And here's the biggest thing. In this period, for the first time in 450 years, Israel gained independence. Do you guys know that? This is where Hanukkah comes from. This is where Hanukkah comes from. Hanukkah and what happened during the intertestamental period is like the Jewish Revolutionary War, where they fought back against this oppressive government and empire, and then they won, right? Like, again, David beats Goliath, and they win their independence, and they celebrate, and that is the holiday of Hanukkah for the Jews. And I would imagine that through all of this, people were wondering, what does God want? What does God want us to do? What did God saying? And in that moment, God was silent. Didn't say anything. He didn't say go fight against them. He didn't say don't fight against them. He didn't say do this. He was silent. And it's just crazy to me. Like, like besides all that, like this is the last period of time before Jesus would come to earth. Right, this is the last 400 years before Jesus would come from heaven and come to this earth. And you would expect some kind of countdown, wouldn't you? 
some kind of word, some kind of message. I mean, every week we have a countdown to prepare you for worship. But during this 400 period, nothing. No message like, hey guys, he's coming. Just remember he's coming. And then 100 years later, hey, remember 100 years ago I said he's coming? He's coming. No reminders, nothing. Like, so that's really crazy to me that God would just remain silent. Like, understand this. This was the greatest event in human history. And God was silent. And maybe even bigger than that. Maybe this is the greatest event, maybe second to the creation of the universe. But this might be the second greatest event in the universe. And God was silent. That's so crazy, right? Like, that's so weird and strange. But when we think about the scale and the the magnitude of what was happening when Jesus came to earth, and then that is preceded by years and years of God's silence, we have to understand something very, very important. There are times where God chooses to be silent. With the nation of Israel, yes, but also with you and with me. And with our local church, there are times where God chooses to be silent. There are times in your life, there will be times in your life and in your relationship with God where God will feel far and God will feel absent. There are times where you will need an answer and you will feel like God is not answering. You want to know what to do and you will hear nothing from him. You'll want help and you'll get none. And you're going to wonder in those moments, and you have done that, and you probably will do it. Some of you are in that right now. And the big question is, where are you, God? But for the greatest event in human history, Jesus was, God was silent. God sometimes chooses to be silent. And in Scripture, we actually see this played out throughout different people, different characters in the Bible. But we see it so clearly in the book of Psalms. I want to read this psalm to you in 42. It's a very... If you grew up in church, this is a very, very familiar psalm to you, right? Because of a song that we sing. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, I'm about to ruin this song for you guys, okay? And I hate doing this, but I'm going to ruin the song. This is a very lovely, beautiful song that was written years ago. We sing it and we love it. I'm about to ruin it because this song is about like, oh, like I need to thirst for God and long for God. And it's so good that my heart longs for God this way. Like that's the sense, right? That's the sense when we sing this song. It's a song about how we should long for God and it's so wonderful. And yes, that's true. But that's not what Psalm 42 is about. The picture painted in Psalm 42 is not a picture of it's so good to thirst and long for God. The picture of Psalm 42 is a deer, as you guys know, a deer that is dying of thirst. (sighs) It's dying of thirst. And then it's looking and searching for water. And then, yes, it finally finds a stream and a river. And it gets to the river, and it's bone dry. That's the picture of this song. Kind of ruined the song, huh? It's like not that special anymore. But that's what he's talking about. This moment when the deer who longs and thirsts for water is dying without it goes to the place where he thinks he's going to find the water and there is nothing. And there are times that that's what our faith looks like and our relationship with God looks like. 
where we need him and we understand it and we go to church and we go to the Bible and we listen to songs and we listen to sermons and we study and nothing. And God is nowhere to be found. Like, let's keep going on in this, in this psalm. Look, listen to what he says right afterwards. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things, I remember how it used to be, right? As I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Like, I, I am, I'm struggling, I have anxiety, I have pain, and I have doubt. And then, God, your silence is making me doubt more and it's making me more afraid and I don't know what to think about you. And then if I don't know what to think about you, I don't know what to think about my life and, like, what's going on? Right? Like, that's the place. And then, and then he goes to this place where I was like, I remember it wasn't like this. Like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Nothing really changed. You know, like, just not that long ago, I, like, loved church. And I came to church, and I sang, and it was so meaningful, and I really meant everything. I would read the word, and I would hear your voice, and I would pray, and it felt like I was talking to a friend. But all of a sudden, like, that's not, that's not happening anymore. I'm in a silent night where you feel far, God. You feel absent. I read the Bible and nothing, it's just words on a page. It means nothing to me. Nothing gets in, nothing penetrates. I pray and I feel like I'm talking to myself. There are times, and we're going to go into this next week more in detail, but there are times in your life where this is your experience with God. And some of you guys might be in that right now. Some of you watching may be in that right now. And you're here and you're not really sure why you're here. And you're here and you're like not sure like why you even want to be here. And it's like, I, I want to go home. And, and you're like, this is all pointless. But the question that I want to ask you guys and I want us to talk about is, what are we supposed to do when we're in this silent night? And it might be just for like a, a, a month or two. Maybe some of you guys have been in it for years. What are we supposed to do when God is silent and we need him? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to understand? How are we supposed to look at these things? I'm going to answer that question for you guys today. And we're going to answer it next week as well. But to do that, I need your permission. I need your permission to biblically nerd out on you guys for the next few minutes, okay? Can, can I do that? Because, like, there's some stuff we got to get into, and it's really cool, and it's really powerful, and it's really meaningful, but some of you guys are going to be like, what is he even talking about right now? Because we're going to get into some numbers. We're going to get into some kind of, like, intricate details. So I'm going to nerd out for a second, and just stick with me. It'll be worth it, okay? I promise you. I'm going to try to do it as quickly and as, cl as, as, as clarifying, in as much clarifying way as possible, okay? So this is really cool, though. This is really cool. So stick with me. When you look at your Bible, we talked about this, and you go from Matthew and you turn the page, what is there? What's the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi. Malachi, Malachi, Malachi. Yes, and Malachi is believed to be the last book of the Old Testament prophets to be written. But here is the weird thing, okay? In the Hebrew Bible, Malachi is not the last book of the Bible. What? Isn't that crazy? Remember, I told you this is super interesting, right? In the Hebrew Bible, Malachi is not the last book of the Hebrew Bible. And you will never guess which book is unless you already knew, okay? So if you knew, don't say anything. Don't ruin it, okay? 
if Malachi isn't the last book of the Old Testament or the, the Hebrew Bible, what book would it be? It's the book of Chronicles. I know! When I read that, I was like, what? And I was in the library, and I was like, what? Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. So weird, right? Why would it end with Chronicles? And it makes sense, because if you've ever read the Bible, and you're like trying to go through it, and you push through, and you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and then you get to 1 Chronicles, what's your thought? I already read this last, like, last month. I already read 1 and 2 Kings. is the same thing. And it's like rep repetitive. Why would I read that? Because it was never meant to be in that spot. It was supposed to be at the end. First and Second Chronicles is actually one book in the Hebrew Bible, one really long book. And what it is, is it's an end. It's a summation. It's an overview of everything. And that's how the book ends. So that's super interesting, right? That is Chronicles, not Malachi. But here's what's even more interesting. Okay, let's look at how the book of Second Chronicles ends. This chapter 36, verse 23. This is Cyrus, the king of Persia, and he's talking about how he's going to send the Jews and the Israelites back to rebuild Jerusalem. He says, The Lord, God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people, right, the Jewish people, any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. Okay, very nice ending to the Old Testament. Seems to make sense. This is not actually what it says. Let me tell you guys, let me give you a more literal translation of how the end of the Hebrew Bible ends in Chronicles 36, 23. And this is going to be like so weird, okay? This is the more literal translation. This, I'm going to focus on that last sentence. The last sentence was, any of his people among you, right? This is a literal translation, Oh, so this is the verse. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. Last sentence of the last book of the Hebrew Bible. This is what it actually says. Who among all of his people whose God is with him and let him go up? What does that even mean? The last sentence of the Hebrew Bible is an incomplete sentence. And it doesn't have the dot, dot, dots, but I put that there because that's the sense. The Bible ends with, let him go up. And then you're supposed to think, and then what? And there's nothing. This is 2 Chronicles 36, 23, CCV, the Chris Chong version. Okay? It ends with an incomplete sentence. It ends with no conclusion. Have you ever, guys, you, you, you know, you've watched movies, right, where, where they have an ending that's open-ended? How many of you, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? How many of you guys like that? If you like that, raise your hand. Oh, okay. How many of you guys hate that? Okay, okay. Yeah, most people don't really like that, right? But sometimes movies and books and stories, they will end with an open-ended ending. And sometimes it's really cool, like in the movie Inception, and it's like, oh, that's very interesting. And sometimes it's terrible and so annoying. This is kind of like, to be, it, with all due respect, this is like the worst ending ever. All right, like put that up on the screen one more time. What does it say? Who among all of his people, whose God is with him, and let him go up? But there's a reason why it ended this way. The reason why the Hebrew Bible ends with an open-ended ending is because the story of Israel was not done. See, they thought it was done. 
Because they were saying, okay, we've been in exile for 70 years. And Jeremiah said, we're going to be in exile for 70 years. And now we're going to go home. Cyrus is letting us go home. It's all over. It's all done. But this verse says, it's not done. You thought it was over. You thought the movie was over. You thought it was going to go black screen and credit's going to roll. But the story of Israel was not over. They thought they were going to go home, rebuild Jerusalem, and everything was going to go back to normal, and everything was going to be great like it was 70 years ago. But the end of Chronicles says, no, there's more to be written. You don't know what's really coming. And then Daniel is the one who gives the answer to what really is coming. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he receives a vision, and it's really, really bad news. And Daniel 9, 24 is the conclusion of the three dots. What's going to happen next? So let me read this verse to you. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy sevens. Okay, stick with me. This is when it starts getting really complicated. Seventy sevens. He's talking about 70 sets of seven years, which is 490 years. So in other words, 77 is 490 years. 490 years are decreed for your people and your holy city to do what? Finish transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. What this verse is telling us, what Daniel, the, the message that Daniel is receiving is, hey, we're almost at the end of the exile, right? We're going to go home, God, right? And everything's going to be great again, right? And God sends a messenger, and then the messenger says... Daniel, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's not over. You thought after 70 years you were going to go home. Actually, you guys got 490 more years to go. And in the next 490 years, we're going to deal with the transgressions and the sin and the wickedness and all that stuff that's going on. After 70 years, you guys still have sin in your heart. You still have rebellion in your heart. You still want to worship idols like you're not ready. So you need more time. And so that's what Daniel 9 is telling them. It's not going to go back to normal. It's not over. There's another period after the Babylonian exile. There is another period of 490 years of a different kind of exile. And this exile, you're not going to be in some foreign land. You're going to be home. But foreign governments, foreign countries are going to be ruling over you for the next 490 years. And then after the 490 years are done, then... It's going to be over. Then things are going to change. You guys with me so far? You with me so far? Okay, trust me, this is going to be really cool. Why 490 years? Isn't that weird? What an odd number to have in this section of Scripture. Why, of all, why not 500? Like 10 more years, it's even 500. You OCD people, you like that. You want the 500, but it's like 490 years. The Jewish calendar was organized by sevens. Some of you guys know this, right? The, the week is seven days. The seventh day is the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. So you have seven, the seventh day of the week was the Sabbath day, the day of rest. The seventh year was a Sabbath rest year for the land. So every seven years, God told the people, when you hit that seventh year, the land needs a rest. Stop working. Stop farming. I'll provide what you need. Don't work the ground. After six years, the seventh year is a Sabbath rest. And then after seven sets of seven years, is 49 years. He says, after 49 years, there's this awesome thing called the year of 
Jubilee, and this is super important. And the year of Jubilee is the coolest thing ever, right? It's this like amazing economic reset and, and, and bringing equality back to Israel because during the 49 years, people might sell themselves to be slaves. They have to sell their kids to be slaves. They have to sell their property that was theirs to pay back debt. And after seven sets of seven, 49 years, on that 50th year, they celebrate, they rest, and they give everything back. Right? All the slaves get freed. And they go back and they're free now. All the land that was sold goes back to their original owners. It's awesome, right? It's like this amazingly cool thing that Israel did, that God had set forth in the book of Israel, or for Israelites. This year is a special year of freedom, rest, and restoration. This is really important. So remember that word, jubilee. It's a year of rest, restoration, and freedom. Now, if you look, if you read and calculate, which I'm sure everyone is going to do after this sermon, right? If you calculate the years from the reign of King David to the end of the exile, how many years went by? Guess what? 490 years. And during that 490-year period where, the Israel, where Israel was failing and worshiping other gods, they did not follow the rules of the Jubilee. So for 490 years, there was no jubilee. And now God sends a messenger, says, you need another 490 years to get your act together. You spent 490 years in disobedience and rebellion. I'm going to give you another 490 years to get your act together. After that, then will be restoration and freedom and rest. And a portion of that 490 years is this intertestamental period. After that 490 years, judgment is done. The judgment is done. You will be changed and you will be ready for the true jubilee. The jubilee is going to get started again and it's going to be amazing. You guys with me? So let me ask you this question. If you're with me, you'll be able to answer this question. What happened? I'm getting excited and getting chills right now. What happened after that second set of 490 years? Jesus was born. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Listen to this, all right? So after 490 years of rebellion, God says, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're worshiping idols. Your hearts are still rebellious. I'm going to give you another 490 years, and that's when freedom, rest, and restoration is going to come. When that 490, 490 years is done, he sends Jesus to this earth. Jesus is the walking jubilee. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Jesus talks about himself. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he was anointed. He anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is when Jesus is talking about his mission. That last phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, is a nickname for guess what? Jubilee. Jesus is a walking Sabbath. Jesus is a walking Jubilee. Jesus is here and it concluded the end of the punishment. And that's why it was 490 years. So here's what I want you guys to say. With all of that, all right, biblical nerding out, done, okay? With all of that in mind, very intricate, very detailed, all this information, here's what you really have to understand. In that silent night, that period of 400 years that we think and we assume God would speak and he did not, that time of silence was all part of the plan. 
You hear that? The silence was a part of the plan. The silence is preparation. The preparation was not God giving them rules and teaching them all those things. The silence was the preparation. So what does that mean for you? If you feel like God has been silent with you. It was all preparation for the coming of Jesus where true victory and true freedom would be won. So what I want you to know is if you are in a season where you feel like God is silent and you feel like you pray and you talk to him and you go to church and you do the things that you're supposed to do but nothing is there and you're thinking, am I crazy? Like, am I like going off right now? Like, what's going on? Is, is maybe God is not even real? Maybe God is not kind? Maybe he's like taking his presence from me? If that's where you are, what I want you guys to understand is that for some of you, the silence you're experiencing right now, or you will, is actually preparation. That God is preparing you for something. He's preparing you for deeper faith. You're not losing your faith. It feels like it, but you're not, you're not losing your faith. What God is actually doing is he's refining your faith in the silence. You feel like, you feel like you're, you're, you're losing God's presence. But here's what you guys really have to understand. I've said this before and I'll say it again. God's silence is not God's absence. Can you guys hear that? God's silence is not God's absence. That's what 490 years of Israelite history tells us. God's silence did not mean God was absent. God was there. He was silent, but he was working, and he was moving, and he was changing the hearts of Israel. Even though he wasn't speaking to them, even though his presence wasn't felt like it once was. I believe that we can bring that down to a personal level. If you have been struggling with faith because you feel like you haven't heard from God, or you used to, and you had the sense of joy in your life for Christ, and church was amazing and wonderful, and you loved all that stuff, and then now, nothing? For some of you, what you have to know is that for some of you, you are actually exactly where you need to be. You might exactly be exactly where God wants you to be. And I know that you probably don't want it. You want to get out of that. We don't like it. We want to get out of the silent night. We want to walk away from this. We want to change and we don't want to experience this anymore. We don't, want to, we don't want to struggle through this anymore. But for some of you, even though you may not want to hear this, you might be exactly where God wants you to be because he's preparing you for a time of greater devotion and commitment to him. He's preparing you for a time of greater freedom from the things of this world that trap you and cause anxiety in your life. He's, he's preparing you for a time of greater joy in your soul. And that's where the, why the silence is happening. So I know we want to run from it, but for some of you, this is exactly where you need to be. And God wants you there. And he's working in this moment. God can use silence to prepare us for deeper faith. And here's the crazy thing. You could argue that actually God's silence is one of his best tools for that. Here's why. If you read the, the Gospels, the New Testament, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we look at the way the Jews are, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
and you got to try to get a sense of like, what's their problem? Like, what's their issue? What's the struggles they have? You see that they have struggles with like legalism. That's a big thing, right? They struggle with legalism. They struggle with hypocrisy. They struggle with money and wealth. They struggle with anger towards their enemy and the Romans and stuff like that. You know what they don't struggle with in the Gospels? Idol worship. Did you ever notice that? There's no struggle in the gospel stories where they're trying to worship other gods. No, 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 no. They're committed to Yahweh, but they got all these other problems for sure, but they're not worshiping other gods. You see, for the first time in thousands and thousands of years, for thousands and thousands of years, the struggle of Israel was worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols. That's all they struggled with for thousands and thousands of years. And they had thousands and thousands of years of this ridiculous cycle where they would worship other gods. So then they would get conquered and enslaved. And then so they would repent and then they'd go back to God and then he would save them. And then they would start worshiping gods again. They did this over and over and over again for thousands of years. But now, in the Gospels, they're done with idol worship. They're not worshiping other gods anymore. When did this happen? during the 400 years of silence. Somehow, I don't know how, but somehow in that period of silence, God worked on them where they overcame their real, real problem. And we see them having victory in that, in the Gospels. That's crazy. So you see, sometimes God's silence is God's greatest tool to bring us into deeper devotion and commitment and faith. The silent night before Christmas. If you haven't heard from God, he just might be preparing you for something. You are exactly where you need to be. Now next week, what we're going to do is we're going to dig deeper into this idea of, of like, what do I do when I can't hear God? What do I do when I'm in the season when it's like so hard and I want God, but God does not seem to want me back? How do I understand what this silence is about? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do in this moment? That's what we're going to dig deep in next week. Pastor Jonathan is going to share that with us. And he's going to share this quote from C.S. Lewis that is just like mind-blowing. Like I read this quote in the library and I almost started crying. And I got chills as I read this. And it was so powerful. And he's going to share that quote with you, I think. If he doesn't, I'll do it the week after that. But it's so powerful. So as we close... If God has been silent to you, I don't want you to be discouraged. If God has been silent with you, I want you to know he hasn't left you. You are not alone, and you're not crazy. Don't give up. That's the conclusion of this message, real simple. Don't give up. Because you might be exactly where he wants you to be. He's still there. He's still working. And I believe he's actually preparing you for What's next? And you know what's coming next? Jubilee. That's what's coming next. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your word today. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us the scriptures and the word of God to help us understand not just eternal life and heaven and salvation, but things like this, our relationship with you and how we're supposed to understand times of plenty and, and abundant richness in our relationship with you, but also how to understand the silence and the desert experience that we might, that some of us might be in. 
And God, Lord, I thank you, Father, for encouraging someone today. And I thank you, Father, hopefully for instilling some courage and strength in us that we might just be able to rest in the silence, Lord. And that in this time, we may, we may set up our posture and be, be approached in a way where you might be able to do the work in us that you want us to do. Lord, some of us are in that silent night, and if we are, continue to work with us, continue to guide us, and be with us. Thank you so much for the truth that you revealed to us today. In your name we pray. Amen.